0: What's going on guys, welcome back to the show. Today we have a Q&A episode, so thank you to everybody who asked a question. I'm just pulling them all up now. I will say, you might hear that I'm like a little bit winded right now. I just did, you guys know I'm training for hack marathon, whatever, um, I just did my last week, I had a really tough, this is non sequitur, sorry for this. Um, <clears throat> I had a really tough workout, one of my hardest workouts on the bike yet, and it really messed me up for a couple of days. I was yeah, I couldn't sleep for a couple days. I just felt like I was like super sympathetic dominant, super stressed out, like super high cortisol. I just like couldn't sleep for a couple days. And, you know, I've talked to my coach, Alex Viata, and we were talking about, okay, maybe, maybe it was the workout, right? Maybe it was literally the workout, but maybe it was other things that were going on. I was in a pretty high stress state at the time of the workout. Um, And then on top of that, it was the hardest workout I've ever done to date. And so it was like, okay, is it, you know we need to find the right balance was it that you were carrying a lot of fatigue going into the workout and this put you over the edge and next week when this workout rolls around if you're in a totally like normal state of like baseline amount of stress like this workout will be fine or is this workout just in and of itself going to push you over the top every time so i was like hey we need to i want to do another experiment next week like i want to try it again um That was today and I'm recording this at 8.08 in the morning and I got up early and I did it. (laughs) I had the confounding variables. I did the workout fasted and you know, it's not the worst workout in the world to do fasted. It's only a 30 minute workout, let's say, but it's pretty high intensity. So it's pretty glycolytic, but it's not super long. And so um, long story short, I did okay. Uh, I did about as well as I did last time, which I actually, funny enough, I did really well last time and I think I did just as well this time. but. yeah, we're in a rush today. We're flying back to Texas today. So we got a lot going on. And so I did the workout, crack acid on, fasted. Um, But right when the workout was done, I felt a little hypoglycemic. I'm not going to lie. Like I had like a a little bit of the shakes going on. Uh, So I took a shower, made a shake, dumped a, you know, I dumped two of those like mush oatmeal[s] in my shake uh, and I need to sip it, but I also need to record this podcast. So I'm going to be taking a sip of a shake every now and then. So I'll try to do it away from the mic. So you don't get that weird slurpy noise. That's super annoying. But Yeah, I was like teetering on hypoglycemia, or I am teetering on hypoglycemia. And I'm still huffing and puffing a little bit, but we gotta do this podcast, so the show must go on. So thank you to everybody who asked a question. I'll take a sip of the shake and we'll get started. Where am I gonna put this? All right, I won't name names. Thank you guys for asking questions. Let's jump into it. First question, uh, opinion on those plate-loaded cable systems. Are they flimsy or solid way to save some money? So things like the Titan or the Rep Fitness, they come with a plate loaded. It's like basically a plate loaded functional trainer instead of like a selectorized, um, a selectorized build where the, they have like the actual rectangle plates built into the machine, versus a plate loaded one where it comes as just the functional trainer with no extra weights on it, and then you use your weights, your circle plates, and you load up each side. Um, I think that it's a great way to save money, frankly. Uh, The first time I experienced both of these was at the N1 uh, biomechanics seminar in Colorado. And Kaz had both the selectorized and the plate loaded. And and I could not tell the difference in how they felt, like how smooth they were. Obviously, you need the plates. um, You know, you need to own those plates already or you need to buy them separately. Um, But I I think they work incredibly well. I don't think it's a meaningful downside in terms of of, of quality. Maybe it's a little bit annoying to load the plates on and off. Maybe. I, I, I don't think it, I think it's a net win. If you're asking me, do I think it's a good way of saving money and getting a functional trainer and you have to load the plates on yourself? It's a huge win. I definitely think. The one downside is when those plate loaded ones are really light, when you have like two and a half pounds or five pounds, sometimes they don't feel as smooth. But I would say even my plate, even my, the one I have is selectorized, um, doesn't feel amazing with uh, it feels a little bit better with a little bit more weight on, let's say. Um, I think all in all, it's a great way to save money and it is a good purchase. And, and, and if that's your way of getting a functional trainer, because it's now into your price bracket, you can save a couple hundred bucks. I think that's a great idea. Next question. Where to start when there are many goals I need to improve on? Weight loss and exercise, sleep and diet. My first thought is get together with a coach. I think that if for no, no other reason to just have somebody to bounce ideas back and forth with, like what we are doing right now on this on this Q and A. Um, what I will say is, if it, if, there, if I'm going to look at this positively, um, uh, where I would go is that hey, you don't you probably don't even need to do all of these to the nth degree to feel a lot better. Chances are, if you are in a state where you're let's say not doing any of these really well. That there's really low hanging fruit with all of them, and that you you don't have to take them all. And you know, imagine they're all like knobs on a dial. You don't need to turn them all up to a hundred, all up to ten, turn them all up to eleven. For my people who like have good movie taste, um, you don't need to turn them all up. Is my advice. I think you can get low hanging fruit. Don't bite if you're if you are in a state where you have never prioritized any of these, and they're kind of all a shit show. Let's say. I think there's low-hanging fruit to trying to get a minimum effective dose of each. Don't try and be in a deficit and train five days a week and do cardio three times a week and focus on your sleep and, you know, totally overhaul your nutrition. I think I might pick some things that I feel really that are plausible to you and maybe start slow. Um, You know, if that's the, the one I would focus on last, if we're being honest, is weight loss. And so that's where I'll turn the attention in terms of the bulk of this, this answer here, is the last thing I would focus on is weight loss. I would get your exercise, sleep, and nutrition quality to a level where weight loss is much easier. And so doing weight loss before having those things in check, you might lose some weight because you might for a short period of time really dial in your the amount of calories you're eating, et cetera. But for the long term, weight loss maintenance and overall health maintenance, you kind of want the other stuff first, a little bit of a cart before the horse moment. And so I would get, I would focus on exercise, sleep and nutrition quality and nutrition consistency before I would worry about reducing calories and trying to lose weight. You might lose weight just by doing that, but just indirectly without focusing on calories by improving nutrition, eating more protein, eating more fiber, getting on a regular eating pattern, um, you know, having a bedtime and a wake up time that is consistent getting out in the sun during the day, help your circadian rhythm and doing more exercise, whether that's resistance training or walking or cardio, whatever it is, I think I would focus on those, let's call them lifestyle factors first before worrying about how many calories I'm eating and weight loss. If for two, for two, two thoughts and I'll, and I'll move on is, um, Those things will help your health, improving your sleep, improving your nutrition quality, right? More micronutrients, more protein, more fiber, Um, exercise, resistance training, and or cardio. Um, They're all going to improve your health independent of weight loss. Even if you lose no weight, you will feel better and you will be healthier, period. And I think that's reason enough to start with them. But they also will either cause weight loss just by the, the nature of you improving those things, or they will make any future pursuits of weight loss easier, right? They will make weight loss easier if you want to do that in the future. So I think it's a no brainer to start with that stuff first. Next question, how do I sign up for your newsletter again? I have a link in my bio and I hate, I hate link in bio, it's the most cringy statement ever, but I have a link in my bio to sign up for the newsletter. It's called the the weekly WOMP. Um, WOMP is the name of this podcast. Um, And in the newsletter, I go through three things. I go through something that's top of mind that week. And that's just something that I've been thinking about. Maybe find myself talking about the clients, something that's top of mind for me. Then we'll go through an exercise of the week where it's just like something that I'm feeling particularly passionate about programming for my clients or myself and why I love it. And you you might get a little breakdown of the biomechanics or the resistance profile, stuff like that. It also comes with a form video attached. And so if you're interested in just having like a, you know, uh, if that sort of stuff interests you in terms of programming, exercise selection, biomechanics, that's an area that we can go into there. And last is a piece of content that I've enjoyed that is not mine. <clears throat> and So uh, the last couple ones have been, there was a nice, uh, a good video with Dr. Mike Isertel and Ben Carpenter. I shared uh, Jordan Science. um He spiked his blood sugar for 30 days and lost weight YouTube video. This past week was, what did I share this past week? Oh, it was a uh, post by Alyssa Olenek, Dr. Alyssa Olenek, about how, you know, uh, getting your heart rate up while you're doing lifting isn't the same as doing cardio. You know, just because your heart rate is up does not mean that something is cardio. And so I'll give, you know, the actual post or the piece of content, but I'll also give you my thoughts on it. So you, if you, you know, you watch it, you read along, you you kind of have my take on it as well. Next. Uh, Favorite exercises to include integrated partials, full gym setup. So integrated partials are half reps or quarter reps or whatever you wanna call them. Favorite exercises to include integrated partials. I will say, I'll give you some of my favorites, but the truth is the big thing that I would focus on is our our exercises that have a high degree of stability, um, where working really close to failure and controlling the lift is incredibly easy. And so i might not do integrated partials on something like an rdl or a free weight barbell back squat although there are people who really like doing that so i, I think that you have the whole gamut here you have the whole uh, so a, a plethora of things you of, of movements you can use integrated partials with um, <clears throat> and so i prefer doing it on exercises with a high degree of stability where really controlling the weight isn't hard so machines cables or certain free weight setups where you have a high degree of stability. And so I've been using integrated partials on things like um, some of my lat work, my partials, my chest supported rows. St- again, because it's a chest support, I have a ton of stability. I don't need to worry about stabilizing my body in space. I can just focus on doing the, the rep technique as it's written. I love integrated partials on something like a leg press, uh, things like A leg extension or a ham curl have been really nice to do partials. A hip extension has been really nice to do integrated partials. Um, I've been doing integrated partials on my 45 degree preacher curl. Again, you'll see all of these exercises, whether it's cables or machine or free weight, are exercises with a high degree of stability where working close to failure is really easy. Working the target muscle close to failure is really easy. Doesn't require a lot of stabilization. Um, Energy wasted by you stabilizing. But at the end of the day, dude, there are people out there doing integrated partials with RDLs and, and lunges. And frankly, I've been doing, my group will be doing, I don't know when this will come out, but they will be doing um, integrated partials on walking lunges, integrated partials on Bulgarian split squats. And, and, and those aren't, you know, walking lunges are, aren't the most stable, but I still think it works totally fine. Have you been, next question, have you been able to get outdoors and explore North Carolina? I'm sure this time of year is heart eyes. I have to tell you this time of year right now, is the nicest weather I've maybe ever experienced in my entire life. And I have been spending so much time outside and it has improved my sleep just an unfathomable amount. I've been sleeping so well the last like, last week I was a stress ball for reasons we don't need to go into. But for the last like month or so, my sleep has been unreal. It's because I've been spending a lot of time outside, a lot of time in the sun. and yeah, every single weekend we will explore a hike. You know, we have, I, I have like a rule that we're going to explore a one hour radius um, just to just to like pack up the dogs in the morning. So every week we'll go on uh, some form of a hike or just even just like a trail walk or somewhere we can get outside. Uh, it's been fantastic. Uh, what we have not done and what we regret is since moving here, we have not gone back to Asheville or back back to like Boone Um which I really would like to do. And I wouldn't even mind doing that in like the dead of winter. The thing is just with Jenna being pregnant and with Jenna starting work very soon, which both of those are tough. um, We have not carved out as much time, you know, just with moving in. I know these sound like, you know, whatever, just things that happen during life, but between just moving here and moving in, and Jenna being pregnant and Jenna starting work. You know, it's been tough to, to plan a weekend getaway, but that is something that we'd like to do. Um, we love Asheville, Asheville's great. That area is amazing, good hiking, amazing outdoors, just like good people. It's just totally our vibe. Um, I'm I'm obsessed with North Carolina right now in terms of the weather. It just affects my quality of life. We're going back to Texas today for the weekend. We're going to the Rogue Invitational. We're gonna go see some friends. And it's like, it was like 93 in Texas the other day. Uh, yeah that th- that was more of like on a heat wave you know it's more it's not like that right now maybe we got like 70s and it's actually gonna be like 81 79 but like I'm so excuse my name. I'm so fucking sick of the heat I thought when we moved to Texas I was so excited I was like dude well, I'm never moving I was like it's always sunny it's always warm and this is the best thing ever it's not the best thing ever for me for me personally for me personally um I, I never thought I'd miss being cold I never thought I'd miss like wearing a hoodie or seeing my breath in the morning but like my dogs love it i love it i'm way more inclined to go outside when it's 40 than when it's 90 um dude 40 and sunny is gorgeous weather i mean in the mornings we go for a walk 45 degrees sunny it's just awesome beautiful so yeah it's been great next question how long have we gone we're going for um we're going for like 15 minutes here uh okay Does a calorie... Ooh, I forgot to um, hit record on my microphone here. Okay, so those of you guys listening on Spotify or whatever, the the sound might not be as amazing as as it usually is. And if you're listening on YouTube, this mic isn't doing anything. Uh, That's funny. I I have a mic attached to the camera for this. Okay, anyway, let's move along. Does a calorie deficit have an impact on the immune immune system? Absolutely, yes. 100% yes. Um, It weakens your immune system, period. I don't... I probably don't have much to say on how much it does that, but your question didn't ask that. It says, "Does a calorie deficit have an impact on the immune system?" The answer is one hundred percent yes. If you find that you're sick more often when you're in a deficit, like yeah, that, that, that tracks. Yeah, you know, you, you have less overall calorie intake. You have less probably less micronutrient intake, and those things absolutely will affect the immune system. Um shocking next question shocking news. Morning walk is a little quicker if you jog a little. Uh mind blown. And, and this is probably, I think, in 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 uh response to my newsletter this past week where I was talking about like Yeah, walking is epic. Walking is underrated. Walking is so freaking good for physical and mental health. But if you never, ever, ever do any slightly faster cardio, I don't mean sprinting, there's a whole there's a whole fucking spectrum between walking and sprinting. If you never do anything faster than walking, there might be some health benefits for you to do or, or by doing something slightly faster. And one of the ways to very gently incorporate that is when you go for your walk, maybe do a 30 second jog once in a while. It doesn't need to be structured, just say, hey, I'm going to walk. When I feel good, I'm going to jog and I'm going to jog until I get a little tired and then I'm going to walk and I'm gonna walk until I feel amazing again and I feel totally refreshed, then I'll jog a little bit, 30 seconds, one minute. You know, you can even do it open-ended is more of like a a traditional fartlek style where you're like auto-regulating this on your own or it's like, hey, I'm gonna jog a little bit until I get tired, then I'm gonna walk until I feel fine, then I'm gonna jog until I get tired, then I'm gonna walk until I feel fine. And that's pretty cool. you know, and, and I don't want anybody to freak out about like, you know, that they can't be healthy unless they do this and that they, you know, they, there goes their like relaxing walk with their dogs. It's like, you no know, just like m- maybe there's meat on the bone here. There's some low hanging fruit in terms of return on investment health benefits by just incorporating a little bit of that. So something to think about. Next question: How to keep garage gym dust free? Are rubber mats okay to mop? Uh, yeah, they are okay to mop, and I'll tell you right now, I use a leaf blower. It's the, it's the easiest thing ever. I, I it does not get dusty. Um, well, I'll say two things. You might think it's you might think that there's dust. My, maybe my threshold for what I think dusty is is lower than yours. Um, and we might have differing opinions on that. But I, I have mopped my rubber floors before and, and it works great and it gets super clean um, and it looks super nice. But more than anything, I use the leaf blower once a week and I just go through and I you know, go from the back to the front and I leaf blow out the front. And I've never felt like at the end of that session, I'm like, ooh it's still dusty in here. Um, I feel like it does a good enough job. Next question. Why initially I can only feel RDLs in my hamstrings and four weeks on, I feel them more and more more and more in my glutes. <clears throat> so I'm not gonna pretend to know the ex- like, I'm not gonna pretend like what I'm about to say is definitely what's going on, but I'll give you my hypothesis. My hypothesis is what we call an improvement in neurological efficiency, which is fancy for <clears throat> when you first do a movement, your body doesn't know how to do it most effectively yet. I know that that sounds like um, kind of like a, a, a little woo-woo of like your body learns over time, but it does. When you first do an RDL, yeah, you're, you're bi- biomechanically, your glutes are engaged, your hamstrings are engaged, but your body hasn't figured out how to optimize the firing of those muscles in, in terms of synchronicity, in terms of firing them all together, in, in terms of which muscles shouldn't contract. Um, We see a lot of co-contraction of muscles that are not actually working because your body's still trying to figure out which muscles it can relax, which muscles it should contract. And so what we find is that you actually get better and better, right? Better as far as skill, better and better at activating or incorporating or utilizing the muscles that you want in compound lifts as you do it more and more. And a lot of times it just happens naturally with practice. It's not so much about this like mind-muscle connection of you actively contracting that muscle. It is, has a lot to do with something that just happens naturally with practice. With more, when people are like, oh, I don't feel this lat pull down in my lats, right? 99% of the time you, do, you don't feel it in your lats the first time. You have no idea how to contract your lats and not contract a whole bunch of other stuff at the same time. But over time, what you'll find is that mind-muscle connection or that ability to feel it in the muscles that you want to be working will improve. Now, it doesn't always have to improve. It's not always something that you have to be so worried about. If you're listening to this and you're like, well, I do RDLs and I never feel it in my glutes. I've been doing it for years. I wouldn't worry about it. I would still, 90% of your focus should be doing exercises in a way that makes biomechanical sense. You should not be overly stressing about where you feel it. And so if that isn't the case for you, I wouldn't worry about it too much. But I, I am not surprised that over a certain number of weeks, you are improving in a mind-muscle connection. That's totally normal. And that happens with an improvement in neurological efficiency, which is just your body's ability to contract the right muscles in the right synchronicity, um, to relax other muscles, to have less co-contraction. You know, when you do... Uh, a glute bridge a big one for me is a glute bridge when I do glute bridges for the first time in a very long time I get a lot of quads and a lot of hamstrings and and it's not like it doesn't wreck my glutes right away another one is a hip extension Um, but when I keep glute bridges in for a while I find that naturally my quads aren't taking over as much my hands aren't taking over as much and my body figures out hey we don't need to contract all of this shit all together all at once because the glutes are the best solution to this problem so I'm not surprised that that happens Um, what do we got here we have time here 10 more minutes um are we doing gar hammers this mezzo uh i think you mean this upcoming cycle we are not doing well do i want to give that away we're not doing gar hammers but they will be available as a swap we're going to be doing hanging knee raises for those of you guys listening for For my group program this next upcoming cycle will be the first cycle that we ever have optional ab exercises I. My group is all about efficiency, time efficiency, letting people get jacked great results in less time. And so I always hesitate to add a bunch of optional shit on top of it, because I always feel like people get a little bit like, you know, um, guilty when they don't do everything that's prescribed, but I will be adding in two very optional ab exercises. I'll tell you one of them is a stability ball crunch or or a ab mat crunch, and the other one will be a hanging knee raise, but Gar Hammers will be an available swap for the hanging knee raise if you want. Next question, should we care about sugar or added sugar? Strawberries are good for you, but have sugar. Do we count that sugar if we are trying to limit sugar? So I personally, under almost all circumstances, would not recommend tracking the grams of sugar that you eat. I think that's a slippery slope based on exactly what you just said, which is like, well, my strawberries have sugar, my banana has sugar, my blueberries have sugar, you know, my my peaches have sugar. Um, And that throw, you know, my sweet potatoes have sugar and that throws a wrench in this. It's a very big confounding variable because those foods are incredibly healthy, incredibly nutritious, high in fiber, high in micronutrients, high in antioxidants, like high in a ton of really good things. They also have sugar. And so I wouldn't count sugar. I wouldn't even track added sugar. Now that doesn't, like, like here, I'll say one statement. Here's a statement. A diet that is very high in added sugar probably isn't a good plan. I'll say another statement. That doesn't mean you should track added sugar. It just means that if uh, if it's almost like a proxy for overall nutrition quality, like if you eat a ton of foods that have added sugar in them, I bet you those foods are also lower in fiber, lower in protein, lower in satiety, lower in micronutrients on average, not all the time, but on average. And so, yeah, I might say, hey, A diet high in added sugar probably doesn't represent a very nutritious, balanced diet. But that doesn't mean I would track added sugars. Um, I actually would not track sugar at all. I think the the only person maybe is a diabetic, but that's mostly from a glycemic index, from an insulin, um, from like a giving insulin perspective where that might matter. I wouldn't track added sugars. I wouldn't track total sugar. Uh, I would look at the overall nutrition quality of my diet. I would bet you... Uh, I was about to say who said this, but I would bet you if you track fiber, listen to me, if you track fiber and you're eating, you know, for a man, 35-ish grams of fiber, a little bit more, a little bit less. A female, 25 grams of fiber, a little bit more, a little bit less. If you're hitting that and you're able to hit your calories and you're able to hit your protein, I bet you your added sugars aren't too high. P.S. If you did all those things, then there is no such thing as too high added sugar, frankly. Um... The downfall of a diet that's high in added sugar is that what I just said will be harder. It will be harder to hit your fiber because foods that are high in added sugar probably are also, uh, aren't also high in fi- uh, fiber because foods in high in added sugar probably aren't super satiating. So it might be harder to hit your calories. Foods that are higher high, higher in added sugar might be higher uh, lower in protein. And so if you focus on doing the things you need to do, I bet you the added sugar in your life isn't making a big uh, down, isn't your downfall. If you hit your fiber targets for the day, hit your protein targets for the day, hit your calorie targets for the day, then I think the added sugar thing will is, not I think, it is actually a non-issue at all. The downside of added sugar is it will make those things harder. And so if you focus on hitting those things, then you've fixed, you know, whatever the problem was that needed to be fixed. Oh, we have a lot more, oh snap, okay. Um, any rules of thumb for how much to increase weights for lower versus upper exercises? I wouldn't think about it in terms of lower versus upper two answers for you. One is roughly 5% is a, is a jump that you can make. Um, you know, not to get overly like pedantic or, or even philosophical about this question, but the answer is depends how much you can add, right? I mean, like if you do a set of glute bridges at hundred pounds, and you're like, okay, I'm gonna go up and wait. How much should I go up? I I don't know, how easy was it, do you know what I mean? Like if you did 10 and you had 40 RIR and it was a fucking joke, then yeah, you could add a lot of weight. But if you were like, hey, I've been working really hard at RDLs, I finally got 10, 10, 10 across the board, but it was really effing hard, how much should I go up in weight so I don't drop my reps all the way down to three, four, five? I think 5% is a super rough, like total generalization, but something to keep you in the ballpark. 5%, right? If you're 100 pounds, you go up five pounds. 200 pounds, you go two and a half pounds. Um, I think that that's totally fine. 5%, you know, five to 10%, right? 10% is a huge jump, but might be possible on some things where you lift a lot of weight, like leg presses, etc. Another answer that I think I would stand by is whatever the smallest increment available is, period. You know, whatever the smallest increment that you can find is. If you're doing dumbbells, sometimes that's the next available dumbbell. If you have fractional plates, maybe it's a fractional plate, right? If you're on the lat pull-down machine, maybe it's just, or on a cable machine, it's just putting the pin down one notch. And so sometimes you kind of just need, if you're on the leg extension, it's putting the pin down one notch. Some machines have that little like click thing where you can go by five pounds. I might go either by the smallest increment available or by roughly 5%. But there is no perfect answer because it depends on how easy the set was for you. But if you're like really up against it and you're trying super hard, but you also think you can do a little bit more next time, I would say whatever the smallest increment of load available to you is or something like 5%. So with free weights, sometimes that's fractional plates. Sometimes that's the next dumbbell up. Sometimes that's a pair of two and a half pound plates. Sometimes it's a pair of five pound plates. I would go with whatever the smallest increment available is. Next question, does dancing count towards step goal? Of course it does, absolutely it does. Dancing is an amazing way to accumulate movement and activity. I mean, absolutely yes. Everything, I'm not gonna go on a rant here, I'm gonna stop myself. Everything counts towards your step goal, everything. Your step goal, let me be very clear. Your The, the point of counting steps is because it is a decent proxy for overall movement. Right, it doesn't tell you how fast you went. It doesn't tell you how intense your cardio was. It just tells you how much you did—the total volume of movement—and so dancing absolutely goes into that, a hundred percent. And I love that. I would, lo- it, it, you know, I was gonna say it warms my heart, but that's like a weird, annoying way of saying this. But like, I love the idea that somebody would be like, "Hey, I love dancing, and it's a good activity. You know, can I think of it that way?" You absolutely can. Absolutely, yes. I think of playing with my dogs as as you know, towards my step goal or part of an active lifestyle, 100%. Taking the dogs, Jenna and I take the dogs to the field, we throw the ball, we run around with them, like, yeah, that's part of an active lifestyle, absolutely. Alrighty, what do we got here? Couple more. Still feel like a little uh, hypoglycemic here. Got a little, got a little the shakes here, but, but hopefully blood sugar getting back up to speed here. Easier calisthenics for a rest day because I suck at rest days. I would not do that. Um, it's not the end of the world. Like if you're like, oh, I did a couple push-ups and squats today. It's like, I, I just, it's, to me, it's you checking um, a psychological box that represents like, I feel really guilty when I don't do something. And if I just do this thing, then I'll feel less guilty. And so I think that that's a really guilt-driven way. I think you saying I suck at rest days means... I have some bigger shit going on in terms of my inability to, um, you know, my attachment to movement Insofar as like, I feel like I'm gonna get fat if I take a rest day. I feel like I'm gonna lose fitness if I take a rest day. And those just aren't true. And so I might look at your relationship with exercise and say, am I, am I doing this for all of the positive benefits that I'm getting? Or am I doing this out of like a fear of self-loathing, a fear of, of getting fat, a fear of losing fitness? Um, and, and, and I, I want to be clear, sometimes that fear of like, you know, I, I'm afraid of growing old and being brittle and being, you know, not physically able. And, and so I'm not saying that that, like, that fear categorically can't be a positive thing. It, it motivates me to do better. But if you suck at rest days insofar as you have to do some push-ups and go for a jog because you feel like you're going to get fat if you don't, then yeah, then that is something I'd look into as far as an, a relationship with exercise, a relationship with movement perspective. Okay, lower belly fat on women when you are fairly lean everywhere else, question mark. Um, I'd love a little bit more context to this question, but I'll take a stab at it. Well, oftentimes what happens is when women enter a certain age, perimenopause, menopause, we see based on hormonal shifts that fat distribution changes. Where you hold onto fat changes. And during this like midlife phase of a woman's life, we do see a fat redistribution around the belly. That is it true. I mean, people, have a menopause belly or whatever the hell people call it. Like, yeah, th- there's fat redistribution there. The second thing that you might be talking about is just the fact that straight up, whether we're talking about midlife, talking perimenopause, menopause, forget all that for a second. Dude, belly fat, like around the belly, around your organs might be the last place you lose fat. Just period, end of story. It might not have anything to do with what I just said. It might just be that that's where you hold on to fat. Like you might lose body fat in your limbs, your quads, you know, might start to see some definition. Your arms and shoulders might see some definition before you start to see definition around your abdomen. Like joint, like everybody basically falls into this category. And so you might say, well, I feel pretty lean everywhere except my belly. Yeah, that's probably the last place that you lose it. Your belly, your hips, your glutes, um, upper thighs, that tends to be where we all hold on to fat the most. So, number 1, this is just kind of normal. Um number 2, maybe it's a fat re- redistribution thing, but yeah, overall that that's totally normal. If you were like, "Yeah, man, my my limbs really hold on to fat, but my, I have a six-pack." That would be weird. Like that would that doesn't happen, you know? Um gotcha. Cool. Um, All right, let me, I always feel guilty not answering all of these. Um, All right, we're going six more minutes here. Uh, Okay, Cardio cardio and weights, okay to do in the same day. Which to do first, how long to rest between cardio and weights? Here's the deal. It depends. It depends how much freedom you have to do them at different times of the day. And so I'll start with, if you have all the freedom in the world, here's what I would do. And then I'll go down the list of how big a deal it is to kind of break that and do something else. So the best thing you could do is do the thing you care about most first, and then have four to six hours where you have a meal or two before the second thing. In a perfect world, if you're doing cardio and weights in the same day, you should do the thing you care about first, the thing you care about most first, and then four to six hour break with a couple meals, right? A meal or two, replenish glycogen, um, and then do the other thing, right? In a perfect world, that's what you would do. And for when I'm doing two a days, that's what I do. when I'm doing two days, typically I'll lift first and then I will lift around 11 and then I will go back to work, I'll have a couple meals and then I will do my cardio around five. And so it's a six hour break uh, and that's typically how I'll do that in a, in a normal day. Um, but that isn't always feasible for, for everyone. That To me, I, I already know that this is a ludicrous schedule I have and I'm never gonna keep this up long-term. So if you need to do them In the same session, I would start with the one you care about more. Right? If you're going to do them back to back, start with the one you care about more, period. If you do them back to back, it's still fine. You're still going to make adaptations for both. Right? Seriously, you will. You might perform on the second thing worse than in the first example, where you have four to six hours and a couple of meals. You might perform on your run after your lifts worse than if you had four to six hours and a couple of meals. But as far as adaptations go, the the loss of adaptations here, you know how much worse this scenario is in terms of the adaptations you'll make, isn't as big a deal as whether or not you can be most consistent with this sort of schedule. So if you're like, Jordan, that's all I can do. Well then who cares about what's optimal? This is all you can do and you'll still get better at both. You'll absolutely, you can do lifting and then running. You can do your cardio and then lifting. You will adapt better to whatever you do first because you're more fresh. And if you can split them up, then that's great. But if you can't, you can still make gains doing both. So long as you're adequately fed going into the workout, I probably wouldn't do a big lift and a run, both of them totally fasted and expect the best results. You could probably do it and still make gains, but I wouldn't expect the best results. In that context, I might encourage an intra-workout, just like even some Gatorade and whey protein, just like mixed up maybe. Um, But yeah, I, I wouldn't worry too much about how you organize it. It's totally okay to do them in the same day. Do the thing you care about first. If you can split them up at all, do it for best results. But if you prefer to do them back to back, do the thing you care about for most first, and you're gonna do just fine so long as you fuel adequately throughout the day, but also maybe beforehand, maybe during. Cool. Uh, I'm gonna keep these short. I'm I'm gonna finish all the questions. I hate that I do this. Uh, Okay, thoughts about downing a glass of water before a meal to to make you feel more full so you'll eat less. I think that it's not what you do. It's the headspace with which you do it. I think that if you're like, I think this is a fine plan. And I think that it works insofar as it works more than 0%. Um, There are research studies where people have a glass of water before and after each meal. And they tend to report greater levels of satiety. Not by a lot. It's not magic. I wouldn't stress out about this. I wouldn't be like, oh my God, I forgot my water. Oh my God. Um, I might... I, I I I don't want to go out on a limb here and pull like a Huberman where I'm just like just saying stuff. Um, sorry that sorry for the shot at Huberman, but this is this sounds like a Huberman thing that I'm about to say where it's like maybe why well, I wonder why I think this. I gotta look this up after I'm done with the podcast. Maybe don't make it ice cold water. Maybe make it room temperature water. Um, maybe that's an indigestion thing. Interesting, I gotta look that up. Don't take that advice until you you vet it first. I don't actually even know why I said that. It's something that's in the back of my mind. But I think think it's a totally fine thing. If you're like, hey, I'm trying to manage hunger, maybe I'm in a deficit. Is this a strategy that's worth experimenting? I think it is. Next, I saw that Tim Spector guy said that protein can convert to fat and people eat too much of it. Thoughts, only in a calorie surplus, period. Um, And frankly, protein cannot convert to fat basically. Um, and so tur- your body, even in a calorie surplus, your body won't turn the protein into body fat. It will basically almost 100% of what becomes body fat is dietary fat. And so long story short, any application of what you're talking about here, my thoughts are that it's bullshit and that everything you thought is just bullshit. And it's so funny because whenever people ask me about like a uh, uh, a thing somebody said. Is this true? It's almost never true. Like actually 99% of the time it's bullshit. Like 99%, like you know it's bullshit because you're asking me. Um, protein can convert to fat. First of all, it, it, it almost cannot, like, not categorically, but it's a very small percentage. But what I just said about it can't convert to body fat is, is irrelevant, it's just irrelevant. If you're in a calorie surplus, you're going to gain body fat. Who cares if it was a conversion of dietary protein and amino acids to body fat, or if it was dietary fat, broken down triglycerides into body fat, who cares? It's going to be the same amount of body fat if you're in a surplus, period. End of story. And so, yeah, this is dumb. Not you are dumb. That Whoever said this is dumb. Um, not a thing. Which is healthier for dessert? A five ounce glass of red wine or a piece of chocolate cake? It doesn't matter. Neither, of, if you have, if two people are eating the exact same diet, one of them ends the day every single day with a glass of wine. The other one ends the day with an equal amount of calories from chocolate cake. Let's talk. take the calories into account. Let's say it's the exact same amount of calories. But every single other thing that these people do is equal. I don't think there's a difference in their health, their health markers. I really don't think so. However, I guess... Um. Yeah, I, even if this was every single day of your life, I still bet you that if all else is equal, there's no difference. If I had to bet, I'd say the alcohol is worse. Um, if I had to bet on which one, I, I'd say the alcohol is worse from a, because you said dessert, I'm guessing that that's after dinner and maybe that's seven, eight, nine o'clock. And I would say that even one glass of alcohol, one glass of red wine can impair optimal sleep. And to me, that would be the worst of all of the potential downsides from either of these things. I don't think it would matter if all, if you have a super healthy lifestyle, like, and you just like have a balanced lifestyle, exercise, enough fiber, protein, calories, micronutrients, you know, time outside, all, uh, mindfulness, all of the things that we talk about in terms of uh, like a holistic approach to health. And then you, and then this is the decision you have to make. Is it gonna make or break anything? I don't think it will. What's my opinion on Connor Harris? This is a these are tough questions, by the way. If you ask me my opinion on somebody, it's it's it unless they're a complete quack, like it's really tough to say. So what what's my opinion on Connor Harris? Um, the pe- person says twelve months of PT chiropractic, and I still have nagging pain, postural issues. Um, first of all, I think Connor Harris is mad smart, super duper smart dude. Um, had a chance to meet him and sit on sit in on his presentation in the Coaches Summit. I think as far as people in the PT realm, um, I think he's super duper smart. Does that mean everything he says is is gold and that like he is going to fix everybody's pain? I don't think he would even say that. Um, I don't know why you have still have nagging pain. I don't even know what postural issue means, by the way, because that to me kind of signals like a misunderstanding of posture. There is no such thing as good or bad posture. The, the worst posture is the one you keep all the time. Um... Uh, and so, I'm not even sure exactly what you guys did. I think Connor Harris, if you had, uh, if I had to go to a physical therapist or a chiropractor, Connor Harris would be at the top of the list. Does that mean that I expect him to fix your pain? I have no clue. I have no, no clue what you did, no clue what what's wrong with you, none of those things. So I have no idea. I think Connor's super smart. That doesn't mean that he's gonna fix everybody's pain. Recommendations for home gym flooring. So both times I've built my home gym, once in Texas, I rebuilt it here. I have used um, horse stall mats from Tractor Supply. Go to Tractor Supply. They are usually four by six feet horse stall. They're made for horses, Uh, rubber floor mats. And that's what I've used every time. Now I know that there are more, more expensive, more fancy, nice, like real gym flooring options you can go with. I've never ever gone that route. If we move into our dream home, that I'm going to be there, that I know I'm going to be there for the next 20 years, I might invest in somebody coming to the house and 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 actual square footage, like building out a a perfect floor. You know, when you buy four by six horse stall mats, you have to organize them and cut them a little bit so they fit into your space, which I did, which with little issue. Um, um, but I think if I was, if I knew I was like the next time we move, whatever that is, uh, I suspect I will have someone come in and professionally do that. Next. Last question. In body scan says 30% body fat. I know it can be BS, but isn't high body fat, not great. And that's high. I don't give a fuck about your in body scan. End of story. When I'm looking at markers of health, that, that just isn't going to be one of them. Um, I don't care about your in-body scan. I think in-body is not worth doing. Um, yeah. 30%, 30% body fat for a female isn't, isn't amazing. It's certainly not like on the lean side. I know the person asking this question, you're incredibly healthy. Um, if, if And it's funny, I know the person asking this question and if the in-body says you're, you're 30% body fat, it's even more kind of bullshit. Um, I would not use the in-body scan to, to measure health. I would look at um, things like blood markers, your blood lipids, your blood sugars, your inflammatory markers. Um, I would look at long-term markers like HbA1c. Again, lipids, your ApoB. I would look at um, liver enzymes. I would look at all of these markers of health that are more directly correlated. I would make sure you're lifting weights. I would look at things like bone density for strength. Um, Yeah, I really, this, your, what your in-body says wouldn't be in the top 10 things I would use When I'm figuring out if a a patient or client of mine is in a healthy state, um, it's just not something I would use to me that that's, a um, um, an error based on, uh, the machine. So a machine error here insofar as in body isn't perfect and takes in body can only tell you two things. Um, what is fat and what is not and, or what is not fat and the rest, um, I might have that wrong, but it only breaks down two cat- two categories, fat and not fat. Um, and and so there are a lot of liberties that are taken. How much glycogen you're storing, how much water you have, organ weight. And so there are just there are just confounders that make an in-body. Like I know that this is fucking with your head and that's why I hate in-bodies. Because you are now like, oh my God, am I not healthy? You are. You are I know you are. Um, and if you were 40% body fat, 50% body fat... I still would say hey but what does your blood work say what does the rest of it say what's your what's your cardiovascular health what's your resting heart rate you know like let's look at some other actual markers of health um, I know that having a lot of body fat isn't amazing for health. Having low muscle tone isn't amazing for health, but there are other more direct markers I'd look at than what the in-body says. I trust blood work way more from an accuracy perspective than I trust in-body. So, all right, guys. Thank you for listening. Sorry about the audio. I forgot to hit record on my, this fancy mic here. Um, so if you're watching on YouTube, this is normal audio, but otherwise you got the shit end of the sick day. So thanks guys for coming. Talk to you next episode. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Where Optimal Meets Practical. If you liked the episode, it would mean the world to me if you posted a screenshot to your social media or left a five-star review on iTunes. That stuff really helps. If you ever want to get in touch with me, just shoot me a DM on Instagram, at jordanlipsfitness. I'm always around to chat. Thanks, guys. Have a good one.